Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. I am your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatcher, and we are officially in the end game for the NBA. Before we get into that, how are you doing today, Ian? I'm doing perfect. I, I know I got to tell you uh, before we hopped on the show here, but uh, life really couldn't be any better right now. I- I'm set up, you know, I know everybody knows how excited I get to get on here and talk on the podcast. Because it's all sports, and, you know, that's all. And if I take a quick peek to my left, I've got the Milwaukee versus the Miami Heat. First playoff game, official play playoff game, not a play-in game, a playoff game. And for that reason, I'm like a kid in a candy shop, man. I am so excited. I'm watching playoff basketball as I'm talking now, which is something I've never been able to do on the podcast. And I just feel like I'm in an, like a headquarter for sports right now. Like, everything feels – Right with the world, and you kind of you said it like we're about to get into the end game. Everything we've said on our podcast at this point has led to this moment. That's kind of crazy to just think about. Yeah, it, it's absolutely insane. I say before we hop into the playing game, so that went down. Um, of course, last Saturday was the Hall of Fame enshrinement moment. Um, a, a very emotional day for all NBA fans and mostly all sports fans, uh, seeing Vanessa Bryant up there uh, along with MJ and then also seeing two of the greatest power forwards of all time also get in, inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in, in Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan. It, it was a, a, a very special night in the basketball world. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I do have one thing to kind of say about this. And I just want your perspective on it. Obviously, you know, for one, it was a great day for all of those guys. I mean, between Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and Tim, Timmy Duncan, I mean, that is as many basketball memories as I might even have in my entire life from just those three names alone is how much basketball I remember watching from each one of those guys. And really some of the first guys of the generation when I really started watching basketball as well. So definitely a really, really cool moment. But I have one question, and this is for you, Jason. Why is Kobe or why is Michael Jordan always with Vanessa Jordan at this point? Like, I for one, I understand the connection between Kobe and MJ. It's just almost unparalleled. Like, it feels like they were kind of the exact same person to an extent. Obviously, they're not. But, I mean, you know, they both said it. Like, MJ calls him his little brother. Kobe always said he was his man. I get it, but... Why are they always so – why is MJ always um, – I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that. Um, Do you think it's it, weird or am I the only person? It's, it is a little strange, but I, I do understand it because I know Kobe and MJ were extremely close. They were – like you said, they were basically brothers, and I, I know Jordan has been there for Vanessa a lot to help her cope through this – past almost year and a half since yeah. Kobe passed away and Gina passed away. Yeah. And it's that, not, it's not that he, she just lost her husband. She also lost her oldest yeah. daughter. So, yeah, that is definitely probably what it is. I just wondering, cause I always 
thought it was weird. I almost was wondering at a certain and I'm like, am I missing something? Like, but no, that definitely has is just like like you said, it's probably a that solution that held them together was thicker than blood. It seems like. Yeah. Um, but congratulations to those three guys. Also, it is looking like Ben Wallace will be the first undrafted player in NBA history to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, which is absolutely insane to think about. And isn't that um, Virginia Union as well? I believe so. Yeah, so uh, for one, uh, Virginia College as well. Shout out to Ben Wallace. But uh, also a very deserving induction, I will say. Uh, for one, I mean, I'd say the most physically imposing person in basketball ever was Shaq. And there's only, to me, with my own two eyes now zion still got a lot of games to play but there's only one other person that you could even really debate it and that's ben wallace i mean i i remember there was one instance where he blocked a shot from shaq in a manner that you never really saw shaq get blocked like that like shaq was on the little boy receiving end of this block it was at that moment that i think everyone that ever seen basketball knew Ben Wallace is that guy. I mean, he he's he was just a tank a unit in the center. He obviously was, you know, the center of the Detroit Pistons team that won a, a championship, and he's definitely deserving as well. Yes, but with all of the, the Hall of Fame talk going through now, we're going to hop into these playing games that happened, um, starting with last Tuesday. The Indiana Pacers absolutely blew out the Charlotte Hornets, 144 to 117. DeMontis Bonus almost had a triple double with 14, 21, and 9. And then my Boston Celtics, God, I was so afraid, but Tatum drops 58 and 4 to keep my sanity alive for a week. <laughs> yeah, no. Um... For the first two games, um, now that Celtics and Wizards game was a very, very good, very fun game to watch. You, you said it. I mean, Jason Tatum was just cooking all night long. I'll save a little bit of that for you because I, I know you probably want to talk a little bit more about your team. So I'll go ahead and take this Hornets Pacers game. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. This being the first play-in game, it kind of really worried me a little bit watching it, watching it happen because you. I just kind of could see what the NBA had intended. Um, another kind of highly anticipated thing before we get to the playoffs, um, just a little bit of added drama to those last couple spots. There was only so, but so many things they could really do to spice up this time of the year more than, more than it already is. So I do, I am one of the few people that I would say publicly will come out and say that I'm in favor of this play and idea. I liked it. But watching this first game and watching the the Hornets, a team that I was really, really excited. I think it would have been a really cool thing to have seen the Hornets get that last seed in the East just for viewership-wise. Like, LaMelo would have obviously made for a, a really cool storyline, but it was a blowout in all regards. The scoreboard looks like 120 to 144. It, it wasn't like that. If you watch that game, they the Hornets looked – discombobulated the whole time it was not a good game to watch I think I watched maybe until halftime and I eventually watched the full game highlights 
but it, it just wasn't a fun game to watch. Um, it was fun for Pacers fans, obviously. They handled their business. And granted, if the Hornets were going to play like that, they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. But you could just really tell they – it didn't even seem like they knew it was at stake. Like, it, it, there was no sense of urgency, no getting on the ground for loose balls, no fighting. I won't lie. I saw a lot of fight from Miles Bridges. He was playing like, like his feet were on fire everywhere, blocking shots, doing whatever it took um, to, to get his team through. But he seemed like the only one to have that kind of sense of urgency. And that kind of rattled me the wrong way. But luckily, as we'll start to get into the, the playing games after these couple games got a lot tighter. Yeah, this this Washington-Boston game was definitely more of a, a back and forth affair until really – about three minutes into the fourth and then Boston really started to to take away with it. The big thing is Kemba had a, a pretty good night. I would have liked to see him shoot a little better. He still shot. Uh, he shot well from beyond the arc. He shot six for 14, uh, 10 for 24 from the field in general. Also somehow the, the shortest guy on the field on, on the court gets seven rebounds. I don't know how, but all right. But like it, it was interesting. Also, I like Tristan Thompson's uh play off the bench. He had a double double, twelve points, twelve rebounds, uh, plus fifteen when he was on the floor, which was the the best off the bench and the only positive guy off the bench was which is really good. And they were able to hold the Wizards down after they went on such a immaculate run to end the season, which is what had me really scared going into this game. Yeah, no, uh, I was scared for your Celtics for a little while. I definitely thought that they would pull through. I didn't really have that many questions about whether they would win or not. I felt like to me, it was pretty cut and dry that the Celtics would make it out. Obviously they play the games for a reason, but um, I do think it was, I know it's not the best look for the Celtics to be in the play-in situation to begin with, kind of similar to like the Lakers. Uh, I think they were the two teams out of this whole kind of equation that everyone was kind of like, wait, really? These guys are in the play-in? Wow. But uh, to me, I think this the Celtics even more so answered a lot of questions that I had about how they were going to look before the postseason. And I'm honestly not as word. Yes, it did take a huge, huge game from Jason Tatum to, to pull through in this one, but I saw a lot of complimentary production from a lot of other Celtics players that gives me hope in a seven-game series for them. Now, we'll get to talk about who they're matching up against later, but uh, I liked a lot from what I saw from everyone, even not named Jason Tatum from the Celtics. I thought there was a lot of other good contributions. I think, I mean, watching Marcus Smart, you can just tell he was born to play playoff basketball for one. Yeah, Marcus Smart is one of the the most scrappy guys in the NBA. Will will fight for a steal. Will fight for a rebound. If the ball's on the ground, he's diving on it. It's he is one of the most like he will put his life on the line for this game. It feels like. Yeah, that is one of the few players in the entire league. You know, he has no ulterior motives. He he literally plays the games to win and. Uh, just based off a of play on the court, you know, there's I don't think there's any player that you can tell that quicker or easier from than a Marcus Smart. Now, moving on to the 
the Western Conference for the first playing games. We had the Grizzlies knock off the Spurs 100 to 96, and the Lakers knock off the Warriors 103 to 100 after a buzzer beater deep three from LeBron. That shot was absolutely insane. Oh my goodness. Um, that that is going to be on LeBron's career highlight reel. I, I mean, that was as good as it gets. If you didn't get the opportunity to watch that game, which first of all, I am deeply, deeply sorry because it is it was one of the most fun games I've seen in a long, long time. Um, if you didn't get to see it, though, not. But a couple minutes before that, had LeBron been poked in the eye by Draymond Green and I know everybody, once they get hurt, especially in the playoffs, I don't know what it is. They like to embellish it a little bit. And now I have no doubt that getting poked in the eye sucks. It, it does not feel good. You really cannot see for, for an amount of time after that. Like, everything is bl- blurry, fuzzy. You just can't. It takes you a second to get reacclimated. But he was really selling that. Like, even at the point, the first thing I saw him mouth. Or, or could tell that he was saying after he made that shot was, I can't see. I mean, that was his reaction. He still was saying he couldn't see from being poked in the face. But it, it was just one of the craziest moments of his entire career. It happened, obviously, in a huge, huge moment. But everything that even led up to it was was just a huge boiling point almost. And to see a result in that shot, and I mean, if you watch the play, it wasn't even really supposed to be LeBron's shot. It, if I can remember why right, the ball just kind of kicked back out to him after what they were trying to do failed. And he just was kind of forced into a last second shot and he just cashed it right over Stephen Curry. I mean, you could have drawn up an ending the way that fans would have wanted to see it. It would have either been that shot from LeBron for Lakers fans or that shot from Curry for Warriors fans. I mean, there was no in between and his fans of any other team. That's what everyone else wanted to see as well. One of the two best players on the court get something crazy to go at the end and for it to be LeBron in that manner I think it was a perfect ending to an amazing game um this was one of the this get this game gave me hope for the playing game yeah it was such a good game but on the other hand like this this Spurs Grizzlies game it was also pretty dang good if I have to say so myself DeJounte Murray drops the triple double the Spurs Barely lose to this young Grizzlies team. John Morant drops 26 and 6. Jonas Valanciunas has a 23-23 game, which is absolutely insane. Dylan Brooks drops 24 and 7. Like these this young core of Memphis has really, really been so fun to watch. Yeah, it really has. And as much I love the young core of this team as well. And as much as I want this to be John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr.'s team, it, it just simply wasn't in this game. I thought their two best players were, were exactly who you said, Jonas Valanciunas and Dylan Brooks. Valanciunas had one of the best games I've seen in a while watching him play. And I think I say that so easily because – I know Valenciunas is a great player, but I did not expect what I saw. The 23 rebounds alone, to me, is the reason why the Grizzlies won this game. They out-rebounded the Spurs 
all night long. They didn't have a single answer for, for Valenciunas. Nobody for the Spurs could stop him down low from getting whatever rebound he wanted. There was so many second chance points as a result from what he was doing all night. And then on the other end, you have Dylan Brooks, who was absolutely, he was almost Marcus Smart-esque, doing anything he possibly could, chasing whoever was necessary, getting on whatever guy is in the corner wide open as fast as he possibly can. He just made all the winning plays. And then with 24 points, I mean, you can tell he's the leading scorer of that team. His offense was there all night. If I remember correctly, he even fouled out close to the end. And that's still – he still was the leading scorer, even after the, the free throw battle and whatnot. So, I mean, I think this Grizzlies team, obviously a lot of the attention goes to Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, but this is a deeper team than I think a lot of us want to realize it is. Oh, yeah, no, it is extremely deep, and we'll get more into that when we get to the, the Warriors-Grizzlies game. Like, it, it's crazy to think these play-in games – like, I know a lot of people want to say, oh, these are playoff teams. They're technically not, but it's this is kind of like a, a March Madness kind of thing to to get into the playoffs, which I, I'm a, a really big fan of. And I, I've heard from Adam Silver. Yeah, Adam Silver saying he wants to keep this playing tournament in. And I hope they do because – Having the the nine and ten seed who could really only be one game out of the playoffs have a shot to get in is going to be really nice. Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, I really totally agree. And I mean, it also just kind of alleviates that that qu- how many years does it feel like there's one team on the outside from each conference really that, that you're just like, man. What if, what if they're there? Like you said, I mean, it could be a difference of a game. And if you're not in, you know, on the receiving end of that extra win or loss, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs. Your entire season was for nothing. At least in with this opportunity, you have a chance, you know, you could go out and prove it over a one game slate. You know, it doesn't have, doesn't affect anybody else other than you. Why not give them the chance? And so I'm with you. I really like it. I think it showed obviously after just, year one what kind of exciting kind of matchups we can get it was very very fun to watch overall obviously like I said the Pacers and Hornets blowout was a little bit crazy but other than that um the Wizards kind of did it did it themselves they proved in the the next game when they took on the the Pacers for the eighth seed I believe yes that you know it can happen to anybody and the Wizards came through on the crushing end almost uh a really eerily close score of what the Pacers did to the Hornets instead of 117 to 144, 115 to 142. This was just, I mean, how do I say it? Um, a Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook kind of a game, I guess, uh, for the Wizards. Um, they're another team to me that I think is a little deeper than I think we kind of want to realize. Uh, the one thing that gives me a lot of worries about this Wizards team is their lack of depth in the front court really to me all they really have up there is is Daniel Gafford and Rui Hachimura I know they've been throwing out Alex Len and even Robin Lopez out there with some regularity but I haven't seen either one of them come close to with a combined impact from the two of them have the kind of impact that 
Daniel Gafford has had down low. I think he needs to be starting every single game down low for them for the rest of the season. Uh, it's really not even that close. And if Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal can just keep doing what they're doing, really, there's no other way to really say it and keep getting, you know, some of these other performances from Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford. Uh, you have to throw in De- Davis Bertans. I mean, if those guys can continue to keep chipping in for them, this could be a scary team. I mean, they have the, they check the star power box. And really, when it gets to the postseason, that is one of the one of the boxes you have to have checked, really. Yeah, like, in my head, I was hoping coming into this game, Indiana was going to be able to pull it out because I really wanted to see uh, Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon try and make a little bit of a run against Philly. But I'm I'm also happy that Westbrook and Bradley Beal have a shot, and with how they're looking and the the run they've been on, it's it's going to be tough for Philly to really stop them. And we'll we'll get more into it once we actually like once we dive into the series. But it it's not going to be an easy task to stop this Wizards team. No, like uh, no easy task, and like I said. Teams kind of down here. Obviously, I said you had the the Celtics and the Lakers who really kind of didn't even fit the bill, really, of what a playing team we thought. But they ended up there regardless. But outside of that, there is really no team. Like, I, I do love J- John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. as much the, as the next guy. Same with Malcolm Brogdon and um, Sabonis. And, and this same as Stephen Curry and – Andrew Wiggins I guess (laughs) but it's just no team really in my mind other than obviously the teams that I said didn't even really belong had the star power that the Wizards have and for that reason you have to give them a chance like if their stars are playing well you really can't count them out I don't think no not not at all uh speaking of Steph Curry and John Morant Hop into the last playing game, which, in my opinion, was the most insane game out of all of them. A overtime win for the Memphis Grizzlies, 117 to 112. John Morant drops 35 against arguably the greatest point guard of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at, I had ran out to go get food. In the middle of the fourth quarter of this game, as silly as it sounds, I was watching it the whole time from my phone. And, man, this was the John Morant show, really, in this one. Uh, I talked about Valenciunas. He had to get the credit that he deserved in the first game. But (coughs) this game right here was John Morant and everybody else fall in line and just do your part. I mean, there was nobody that pushed the needle other than John Morant, really. And, And... I have to kind of touch on the Warriors as well, because to me, this was just, this team is not deep whatsoever. I hate to say it because Stephen Curry could win you a game at any single point, but this team just kind of proved it. They, they're, they are not the team that you remember. I mean, this Clay Thompson is obviously a huge piece of this team. James Wiseman was say what you want to say about what he did this season. They picked him because they had a need for a big man. Kevon Looney is fine, but you're telling me in 24 minutes of action, 
four rebounds, three assists, and three points. Like, I know offense isn't asked of you that much, but you have got to be able to do something for me, man. They had no big man that could do anything for them. Like, I really thought Valenciunas was just going to board them to death, the, kind of in a similar way. He didn't even have that huge of a role. It was really just the the secondary contributions from everybody other than John Morant and Stephen Curry were outweighed on the Grizzlies' end. I mean, you talk about Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen, Xavier Tillman, Des- Dylan Brooks, uh, Jared Jackson Jr., and Valenciunas and Kyle Anderson all at or around 10 points. When we look at the Warriors, we've got uh, – they had a better second score in Andrew Wiggins with 22 and even a better third with Jordan Poole in 19, but then you get 11, 10, 3, 4, 4 total for the rest of your team. It's not – it's just not going to cut it. Also, a, a big thing in this game is the foul trouble that Jonas, Valanciunas, and Triple J were in. From the beginning, I mean, Jonas went out with, I believe, still four minutes left in the in the first mm-hmm. after getting three really quick fouls, which I I still think two were very light. I I think the refing was a little questionable in this game, especially with some of the the shots Steph was chucking up. It it looked a, a little favored. But I'm I'm not ruling anything out because I I don't want to just say that the NBA was trying to rig the the Warriors getting back into the playoffs. But I have to say on the defensive end, Dylan Brooks did a fantastic job of trying his best to hold Steph Curry. I mean, Steph had an off game from three. He shot six for fifteen. That's not normally what you see from a guy like Steph. You Usually you'll see, especially in a game like this, he'll shoot like 70-80%. And he only hit three shots on Dylan Brooks from three. He shot three for seven or three for eight. I forgot if it, which way it was flipped or not. I'm telling you, man. Marcus, Marcus Smart-esque is the only way I can describe Dylan Brooks. He just works so dang hard. I'm telling you, if you guys haven't seen him, to me, I'm willing to say he's the most underrated player in the league. It's easy at this point, but if you don't think that I had been known that, you should look at my fantasy roster. This guy was rostered on my team for a good amount of this year. Trust me, I knew just how important he really, really was to this team, especially I knew fantasy-wise after, you know, without – Jaron Jackson Jr. to start the season. I knew he would be a big, big bucket maker for them. But even with that being said, his complimentary role, like this backcourt, it works hard. Like John Morant is the spoon that stirs everything. And Dylan Brooks is like the glue that just holds it all together. I don't know any other better way to describe it. John Morant is just the creator. He will create for himself or anybody else that wants to run, cut, or get open. And Dylan Brooks is willing to do fill in the blank to help you win a basketball game. I really, truly think he's one of those kind of players. I think he has no real archetype. He can fill whatever role you need him to fill. And you have to have players like that on your team to win at this time, this point of the year. I mean, the Warriors had one really, really well known, and his name is Draymond Green. He is a similar glue kind of a guy. He didn't have a great game scoring the basketball in this one. 
but he still had a tremendous impact. I thought he was one of the most impressive players on the entire court, anything. And I, this is going to sound crazy. I do not like Draymond Green. He, I'm not a big fan of his. I love the way he works and I love his defensive kind of intensity. But to me, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the other things that he, he likes to do, most notably chirp and yell at refs and give everybody a hard time. But I can say that for a whole nother podcast. But either way, he impressed me so, so much. But even more impressive to me was Dylan Brooks. I mean, the numbers aren't there. But like you said, the defensive impact, being in the right place at the right kind of time and just doing what is asked of him. I mean, the guy just works. Also, this is the last guy I'm going to touch on before we can uh, actually hop into the playoff series. I was a really big fan of slow-mo this game. Kyle Anderson oh, yeah. played a, a fantastic role. I mean, he was real. He's playing that three right now. He's more of a he's more fit for a four role. But I mean, he was playing the four when Jonas was off the floor. But he's able to move so well, rotating off screens and everything. Like he is the perfect off-ball kind of player on defense, and it's it's it really shows. And when you actually watch it, he doesn't exactly jump off the stat line yeah like he he had two blocks and one steal but when you see what he's able to do on the defensive end and actually watch it and see how his peripheral vision he'll see Steph Curry cut to the basket and he'll slot he will slowly slide back in to cut that off yeah I know I mean to first of all I'm so glad you called him by his nickname there I think that is one of my favorite nicknames in all of basketball slow-mo there's nothing that more encompasses the way a player plays than that nickname for Kyle Anderson I mean he literally just plays like a sloth I mean it, it looks weird it looks almost unorthodox with how slow he plays and you think just watching you're like oh my gosh the shot is gonna get sent into the fifth row what are you doing Oh my goodness, he made it. Wow. How did he do that? And it's because he throws it, he's like a change-up only or knuckleball pitcher. You you just do not it feels unnatural to have to guard somebody the way you have to guard Kyle Anderson. And then you com- combine that with the way like you said, he works on defense. He may be he may work slow and methodically on offense. It is not the same way on defense. Defensively, you can tell he was a former Spur. It is a similar kind of thing to what I said about Dylan Brooks. He doesn't win with athleticism or or anything like that. It's hard work and positioning. He gets himself to the right spot before the offensive player and more times than not with, with his length and just knack for, like I said, being in the right place at the exact right time makes a ton of plays defensively. Just his hands in the passing lane, cutting off passing lanes, blocking shots. He has a tremendous effect, and his versatility to be able to guard multiple positions cannot be underrated, I don't feel like. No, no, it cannot. Also, quick update for the first playoff game. Currently in overtime, Miami winning 102-101 to against the Milwaukee Bucks with three and a half minutes left. Is it gonna be? I'm wondering if this can be a repeat of last year. And oh, geez, oh, geez. <laughs> but no, there's a huge shot by Jimmy Butler. Just real quick to to send this game into overtime. Um, if you guys are missing it, I can tell you, I, I've been sitting here watching it the whole time. Playoff basketball is back. I can. It's just such a different feel from the regular season. You started to see it in those last few play-in games, but now is where it really heats up. And, and they. 
first of all, we're talking about two teams right here in the Heat and the Bucks that are known to be hard-nosed, scrappy, defensive-minded kind of teams. And to be able to watch these two guys go at it over a series. Let's just get into the playoffs. Let's just get into it. I'm ready. <laughs> Before we actually hop into it, can I say this Western Conference, the Eastern Conference first round, it it's good. But the Western Conference, this is the most exciting first round matchups I've seen in my Ever. lifetime. Ever. Yeah. No, I, I am right there with you. I am right there. It was so hard. It felt like I was going through and doing my notes for this. And I, I every single series I looked at in the Western Conference was like, oh, my goodness. I wanted to start off with my pick for the most exciting playoff series. Like every one of these are must watch basketball in my opinion every single one in the western conference there's so many exciting matchups in the west it's absolutely insane i mean starting off with the one and eight seed i mean utah utah jazz versus memphis grizzlies utah is just getting donovan mitchell back after a a high ankle sprain in mid-april and they were somehow still able to maintain the number one seed that's crazy the Mm. four five game we have the Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Now I know a <clears throat> a lot of people are saying that the Clippers lost their last few games to to dodge the Lakers, but more we I don't I don't really believe that. I don't think Ty Lue is exactly that smart of a coach to do that. <laughs> you know what? I say I can second it just for that reason. <laughs> but it's it's the rematch of last season of the first round that got pushed to it was six games, right? Cuz yeah, six game. It was a 4 to 2 series. But the the Mavericks didn't have Kristaps Porzingis. So that's going to be a big factor now for the Clippers to be able to stop that. Absolutely. Then we got the three and six. We got Denver versus Portland. I mean, Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray, but they've still been playing so well with Nikola Jokic and Aaron Gordon. And then, of course, you have Damian Lillard just doing Damian Lillard things. And then to wrap up the Western Conference, we have the Phoenix Suns versus the reigning NBA champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. How do you pick a best series out of this? You can't. They're all amazing. Yeah. you Like you said, you really can't. I say we just have to start with, to me, what is probably – now, it is no easy task, but if I had to pick one that I think pales a little bit in comparison to the rest, to me it's the one versus eight matchup, uh, the Jazz versus the Grizzlies. Now, uh, I know that the, I might catch some heat for this, but for one, I'm just going to start – with to me, the Jazz are one of the more boring one seeds we've seen in a while. Um, I, I know it doesn't usually happen like that, but to me, it's just the case. For one, it has happens to do with, I mean, the Jazz are just kind of always the afterthought. I'm not sure why. They're just not the flashiest. Um, they're led by a really bright and exciting young star, and they have a really good defensive style to them that I think would attract a little bit, and especially the complementary offense outside of Mitchell uh, came a lot it came, was more so there this year than it was ever since Donovan Mitchell has been there 
So for that reason, you think it'd be a little more exciting. He gets to face off against last year's number two overall draft pick, or two years ago now, number two overall draft pick in John Morant. They just got back their second star, Jaron Jackson Jr. And we just talked about some of the other contributions that they just got in the play-in games between Valencia Yunus and Dylan Brooks and slow-mo Kyle Anderson. There's a lot of things to watch in this series and a lot of exciting players. But to me, uh, I'll get to it a little bit but a little bit later as to why it may not be as exciting as all of the other games, but it's still one that you will have to watch for. There's so many storylines at play here in this one. And to me, I think the biggest one is Donovan Mitchell's health. I think obviously there was a lot of questions leading up to this point. Was he going to go? Is he going to be ready game one? All signs seem to point to barring any last minute, you know, huge changes or anything that he will be good to go at the start of this playoff series. And to me, uh, that's all it really takes for me. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell is one of those few players that he, while he is a star, he just has a massive chip on his shoulder. And I think it comes from the how much we overlook the Utah Jazz. They are never the first team to roll off of anyone's tongue. And I think that has everyone out in Utah pretty pissed, to say the least. And I think if there's any player out there I would not want to piss off, it's probably Donovan Mitchell because if I can think back to what he did last year in the playoffs, it was pretty good, and he won't have to do that again. Michael Conley has been a completely different player this year, and Bogdanovich is healthy. I mean, he, he played fantastic even a year ago, but he was just injured. Now they have that extra 20 points per game and Gobert to, to really center that defense the way that he – it's just better utilize. He's better utilized when you don't have to expect him to be the number two offensive option on your team. You can get him more out, more out of him on the defensive end with all the other offensive players around him now. I mean, you also can't forget Jordan Clarkson and his, his sixth man of the year candidacy and how well he's been playing off the bench. You also still have Joe Ingles coming off the bench as your another big scorer. Also, Derek Favors has really revitalized his career coming back to Utah. Like, this this Utah Jazz team, it's, like you said, yeah, it's a, a bit of a boring one seed. It, it kind of reminds me of, I think it was, it was either the 2006 or 2007 Dallas Mavericks that lost to that Warriors team. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a more boring team, but it was really uh, just such a good fit. They just ran into uh, a We Believe team that just ran the house. Yeah. And I feel like that could be a, another situation here. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies are such a young team. They just came off a huge win against one of the best players in the league. And John Morant is really turning into a superstar. I mean, we all know he is a star player, but that game last night is really showing his transformation into a superstar. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, for one, I think we learned something from their last play in game. This team won't, will not lose or is a tough out for any team that's led by a, a one person kind of star. If this series turns into a, a series like it was last year. Now I, I don't think it necessarily will for reasons. Like I already said, like they do have Bodanovich back and Mike Conley is, much different this year than he was last year. And you even said Jordan Clarkson is 
has been amazing for them off the bench all season long. Those are three additions that they didn't really have last year in my mind. They did have Jordan Clarkson, but he was not playing this well. If they can maintain that play from those guys into the postseason, I, I think the Jazz pulled through with this one. But if this becomes a a Grizzlies versus a Donovan Mitchell kind of situation, I they could easily lose this series. And I, I really do mean that. If the complementary pieces do not help Mitchell in the way that they learned that they have to over the course of the regular season when they had to step up when he went down and while they were playing well, even with him, while everybody was healthy, if they don't get that again for the second year in a row in the playoffs, they will be packing their bags, mark my words, because of these Memphis Grizzlies right here. They are young and hungry, and they fight. This is not going to be a tough series. I think it's one of the most boring, but I don't think this is an easy sweep or anything close to that. I think this is going to be a dogfight. I think, to me, a spoiler alert, my prediction is Jazz in six, but it, you can't really put an asterisk on anything. I, I, this will be six or seven games, very, very close, and, and really – I do think it will be the Jazz. I think the complimentary cast outside of Mitchell is ready to step up to the challenge. But if they aren't, I would not be surprised in the slightest if the Memphis Grizzlies are moving on. See, you like to think – I know you want to think, like, the rest of the – like, the key additions are, like, Bogdan, like, those X factors. I really think the biggest X factor in this series is Gilbert. And if he's going to be able to guard on the perimeter, guys like – Jonas Valanciunas and Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson Jr. If he's not able, if they're not able to get someone on those guys on the perimeter, they can all shoot really well. I mean, Xavier Tillman really showed it last night, shooting two for three. So it's Gobert is really gonna have to to step his game up. Absolutely. Well, and it's even like you said, it's one of those things that it's going to come down to coaching. Obviously, you know, no one is going to really try in the regular season when you play the amount of games that NBA teams play to game plan out a Rudy Gobert, really. I mean, on a consistent basis, you may have teams here and there that will try and do it. But when it comes to the playoffs over a seven game series, you know what you're going to get in, get from the other team night in and night out, barring injuries. So with that being the case, uh, the Grizzlies are going to have a game plan in to minimize Rudy Gobert's effect. And they need to find a way to do that, to have somebody to stretch the floor, get him out of the paint, because the key to this team is really John Morant. And once he gets into the paint, once he gets into the paint, he can do so many things from that position because it is such a scary thought to have a player with John Morant's talent level at the forefront of the, of the offensive play. You know what I mean? Like right there at the bucket. Um, it, it just, you can very easily see the guy scoring or creating points a million different ways once he's there in the paint. So for that, I think, you know, they're going to have to try and get Gobert out of the paint and find ways to minimize what he can do defensively. But I do think overall, I love, first of all, I just want to say, like, I love this Grizzlies team. I would love to pick them, but I, I just think it's a year too early for them. I, I Look, really do. Yeah, I'm I'm still going with the Jazz. I think it's going to be a six-game series, but I could see it being pushed to seven if they're able to really game plan around Gobert and really minimize his effectiveness in the paint. 
But if they're not able to do that, I could see this going five. Yeah, I agree. This is either going to be, to me, a close series, or I think that one of these teams will run away because and I, I don't really know which one it could be. I'm leaning the Jazz. That's where I'm leaning. But I would not be surprised with how, like I said, young and hungry this Memphis team is if they have the game plan to get to, to really get the most out of this team. I mean, Taylor Jenkins has been one of the best coaches in the entire league for the last two years now with what he's been able to do with this Memphis team. It's not like, you know, this team is uber talented. Like people kind of forget, like Jonas Valanciunas was a guy that really nobody wanted. I mean, he, he kind of felt like he got dealt like three times in a row, back to back to back. Like he was really didn't even the Raptors, the team who drafted him were at, kind of at a point where they didn't even really know what to do with him. I mean, it, it was just a weird situation. Kyle Anderson couldn't get his contract matched by the Spurs. They didn't prove they didn't want him. And then Dylan Brooks was an afterthought by everybody in the draft process because of age and physical limitations and blase, blase, blase. I mean, they, they are a hardworking team. And I would not be surprised with, like I said, the kind of chip on the shoulder that a lot of those players have for them to come out on top. Yeah. So overall, probably the Jazz walking away with this, but if John Moran and the cast around him is really able to, to get things going, I wouldn't be shocked if they, they move on. Moving on to the two verse seven in the Western conference, we have the Suns versus the Lakers. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it to me. I think this is the series to watch out in the West. It, it was close to me between this one and the Clippers in Dallas. But overall, I, I have to go with the Suns versus the Lakers. I mean, for one, this is the first time Chris Paul and LeBron are going to duel in the playoffs for their entire career. I mean, that is crazy to think about. Conferences have always really separated us from being able to see this, and I could not be more excited. Throw in Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and, I mean, the Suns, are the second winningest team in the West. I, who would have thought that coming into the season? I know a lot of people thought that they would be better, but I remember it was a big question at the beginning of the season. Would they make the playoffs? I remember we both thought that they would, but there was a lot of questions from a lot of other people about whether they could do that. I mean, it, it's really crazy to think. It's another kind of case similar to the Jazz. Like, you know what you were going to get from Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, and really everybody else after that on that Suns team was a wild card and they all stepped up. Jay Crowder has played huge for this team. Huge, huge winning basketball. DeAndre Ayton has really found his footing as the third go-to guy on this team. And Cameron Johnson, a pick that was very maligned when it was made by the Suns, has turned himself into an excellent three and D kind of a player for this team. And then you have Mikhail Bridges. I mean, there's a lot of talented players on the Suns team as well. And I know that the Lakers are going to be the heavy favorite, but I think this is going to be a tough, tough dogfight of a series. It will be offensive fireworks for sure from start to finish. But I just don't think that just because that's the case doesn't mean that it will be a dogfight. I think this game goes down to the very wire. Yeah, this is easily a six or seven game series. Easy. Yeah. The the big thing right now is if is DeAndre Aiden gonna be healthy to play tomorrow? 
he did have, I believe it was a sprained knee. I believe that's what it was. And it's looking like he's going to be good to go for tomorrow. Uh, that's what Suns reporters are saying. And I'm hoping so because if not, it's looking like either Frank Kaminsky or Dara Saric is going to be your starting center. And matching one of them up with Andre Drummond, that's not really going to be all that great. But when you go down to the rosters, it's pretty much two stars and then a very, very good supporting cast around them. I mean, the Suns have Chris Paul and Devin Booker as their two superstars. And then DeAndre Aiden, Jay Crowder, and Mikael Bridges as very good pieces. I mean, DeAndre Aiden could be a star if he continues to play as well as he does. And then the Lakers have, of course, LeBron and AD as their superstars. And then Drummond, KCP, and Dennis Schroeder are also very good role role players. It's crazy to think how similar these two teams are. Oh, yeah. I mean, very, very similar. I mean, to me, Chris Paul and LeBron James are almost carbon copies of one another. Now, it sounds crazy to say that. I mean, they do things in completely different ways. But, I mean, impact-wise, Chris Paul is the the star of their team. And I don't think there's any doubt that LeBron James is the star of his team. And I think they both go about it in a similar manner. Watching them now at their age, it, it is so fun to me to watch not necessarily they don't dominate games anymore, but to watch the way they pick and choose their spots. It is so much less about numbers and scoring to them. And it could not be more apparent with how they get their offense going now and how they create for others. It's they're the only two players in the league to me, really that it feels like every play down the court, their first instinct is pass first. They want to do nothing other than first things first, create a bucket for someone else. Now, obviously, when it's winning time, they know that their number is the best number to call. But they know that without the other players playing their best basketball, they don't, they, you know, they can't do it by themselves. And they know what's at stake here in these playoffs. And they know that they're going to need contributions from every other player. And so I see a lot of similarities in their games for that reason. And especially along the context of even their teams, like you said, like it looks like they the team complexion feels so similar because it always is the same kind of a storyline. Chris Paul, you know, uh, dazzles in, in the first through the third quarter passing to all of his teammates. And then here comes the fourth quarter. Oh, and now he's got 18 points to go along with it. Cause he hit every crunch time bucket that was needed. Like LeBron James is capable of doing the exact same things and we've been seeing it all season long, really from both of them. So I think this is going to be such a fun series. I cannot wait to just see the on court interaction between LeBron and Chris Paul over the course of a week straight. Almost that is going to be crazy. We've never seen it in the playoffs before. Yeah. I mean, we got two, two of the banana boat boys here. (laughs) I mean, Chris Paul and LeBron James are two of the most knowledgeable basketball IQ players, like basketball IQ guys in the league. Both know can make extremely well reads. I mean, we've seen LeBron do it his entire career. I mean, Chris Paul is 
not exactly in the limelight for a good while with being in New Orleans for the start of his career and not a whole lot of people really giving him a whole bunch of credit for about like the first two two years of his career. But once he got to LA, that's when like the limelight really started to shine down on him and people really started to see like, yeah, this guy is one of the best point guards in the in the NBA. I mean, people thought that, but then it really started to hit like, yeah, this guy is top tier. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I the, when it comes to picking a winner in this one, I think it's I personally think it's tougher than a lot others. Uh, I for one, I don't think we can undersell. Like I know that a lot of times there's teams that come in and are really good regular season teams, and, and really going into the playoffs, you know, you kind of can see it. It's written on the wall. Like maybe this team is just a regular season team. I hate to say it, I don't think that's what this Suns is. I, I think they're on the unfortunate end of. I, I am kind of of the belief that every team in the West was doing whatever they possibly could to not have to go and go against the Lakers in the first round. Um, and I think that the Suns really just got the short end of the stick of having, you know, sitting there and watching the, the Lakers in the, in the playing game and being like, okay, I just hope they don't beat the Warriors. Uh Oh, <laughs> but I guarantee you it wasn't what they, it wasn't ideal for them. It's not what they would have picked for themselves but obviously it's the hand they've been dealt and i think it's a tough tough break i think this will be a tough series like i said it, it, to me this goes seven uh, i know a, a lot of people don't really have it pegged that way but I, I just think with everything at stake in this game i know that chris paul or lebron james could pull <clears throat> excuse me could pull their respective teams out of a close game and really i think they could do it equally as well and for that reason i think it's going to be a coin flip on a game-to-game basis about which team has the ball at the end, uh, things like that. So uh, for that reason, I have the Lakers in seven, but this is going to be a very fun and a very hard-nosed playoff series, like I said, for most of these Western Conference battles. Yeah, I'm, I'm also going with the Lakers here in seven. I just – I like the Lakers' depth a lot more than I like Phoenix's. I mean, I love Cameron Johnson. I – Cameron Payne's okay. I like Javon Carter and Doris Arch. But when you're looking at the Lakers bench, you have Alex Caruso, who's a, a serviceable point guard. Wesley Matthews has been playing well. Kyle Kuzma has been okay. He's kind of been on and off. You have Marquise Morris and then Montrez Harrell. Also, you can throw in Marcus Gasol there and have Montrez playing at the four. Like, it's it's a lot more dynamic for Los Angeles compared to Phoenix. Yeah. So Phoenix is really just in the, the tough spot to where Los Angeles got the, the seventh seed instead of the sixth seed. Yeah, seriously. Um, I definitely a tough, tough spot, tough for fans as well, because this is this Suns team was, they didn't get as much, recognition I don't think as they should have during the regular season it, with that being the case it'll be even harder to you know if it goes the way that we think it'll go to say goodbye to them after just you know however many games it may be into the playoffs but um either way uh, for, for sure this has to be must watch basketball from game one to game seven for anybody who's a fan of the NBA now moving on to the three and six seed we have the Denver Nuggets with home court advantage over the Portland Trailblazers. 
Now these are two completely opposite teams. Yeah. The the Nuggets are led by a a pass first triple double monster center in Nikola Jokic with a very very good wing player in Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. And then right now serviceable guards and guys like uh Facundo Campazzo Campazzo who came out of nowhere. Uh, Will Barton, who is currently injured, but it's looking like he's either going to be back for. Uh, it's looking like he's going to be get back for game two. I don't think he's going to be healthy for tonight's game. And then Austin Rivers is also day to day, who has really had a pretty good run with Denver this season once they got him on that contract. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, obviously, I think that those. Obviously, those injuries will hurt. But uh, first of all, I just want to say, uh, I think this this is one of the games that I didn't have pegged as the most exciting. But And it's not for a good reason. It just, to me, I think there were better star, in specific star matchups. But how can anyone argue with a star v. star matchup of Nikola Jokic versus Damian Lillard? I love that you said that these teams are both different because – Obviously, they're very, very fundamentally different, even when we just look at the stars for both of these teams. I mean, they couldn't be more different. In Nikola Jokic, we have a near seven-footer who plays the game like a point guard. And Damian Lillard is a slight six-foot-two point guard who plays like one of the coldest shooting guards you've ever seen in your entire lives. I mean, they just go about it so differently. But I don't think there's a right or wrong approach in this situation. And, and I think this is a, to me, this is a very, very tough series to predict. Not only because with the Nuggets, it feels like we're almost relearning a new team since Jamal Murray went down. But when it's kind of feels the same way as the Blazers too, because with the amount of changes they've made on a nearly year to year basis, these last few years to try and figure out what it's going to take to get over the hump. You, we've seen great regular season teams from them, but we haven't seen a team that's been able to put it all together in the postseason. There was the one year where they went to the Western Conference Finals and they were very, very close, but ultimately they, they were bounced. And I, this one, it, for me, it's just tough to predict for those two reasons. I mean, uh, now I'm having to figure out, you know, I love Michael Porter Jr., but how does he respond to the pressure, intensity, and game planning that comes with the playoffs? Damian Lillard is that dude, and... and after the loss to Jamal Murray, I think this is the year where they have a chance to really make that run. And it starts right here, but are are we going to see the same kind of a collapse from this Blazers team that we've seen multiple times in the playoffs? I don't know. And to me, that one is really, really, this is a really tough series. Is it as tough for you to predict Jason as it is for me? It it is really difficult to predict because with Will Barton being pretty, pretty certain being out tonight um i'm looking at the the reports and it's a hamstring injury so it's it's pretty much dead set that he's me coming back game two other than will barton you don't really have a great defending guard that can stick on damian lillard because you're not going to put michael porter jr on him because you'd rather like MPJ isn't really that great of a defender. You'd rather stick him on a guy like Robert Covington or Yusuf Nurkic, who, yes, they're, they can shoot and score, but it's, it's not a, a shifty kind of guy like Lillard. So you don't really have a, a guy that you can put on Dame to help slow him down. 
Yeah, uh, honestly, if I had to guess, and, and it honestly took me um, to to pull up the um, the roster for for the Nuggets to to realize this, but they have a one really really good wing defender that I I like a lot, and his name is Shaquille Harrison. If you haven't heard of him, he played for the Bulls uh, a few years ago. It's the last team I can honestly remember him playing with. He never got much tick. Was always kind of a bench warmer, but every time he seemed to take the court, you could tell defense was his thing. And I think he could be interesting. I, I would be interested to see if they give him any tick to, to see how he could respond to that kind of a matchup, because you are right. I, I am not a fan of, of the perimeter defense of this team. I like their switching capabilities and what they're able to do in that regard. But really when you're looking at who, you know, most gets a lot of minutes in their backcourt for them. I mean, you're looking at, P.J. Dozer, who will miss this entire series. You're looking at Monte Morris, um, uh, Austin Rivers, who, who's injured as well at this moment, um, and then Shaquille Harrison and Marcus Howard. I, I mean, you're working with a very, very thin group there, and this team could play big, but at that point, you're still forcing an even bigger player to be forced to, to guard Damian Lillard. And we're not just talking about Damian Lillard. We're talking about Damian Lillard C.J. McCollum and Norman Powell now at this point. Those are all – say what you want about them. I, Norman Powell, you could stretch the word the wing out there to him, but I, even to, for him, I feel like he's a guard at first and foremost with his play style and whatnot. So with that being the case, that to me is the most troubling concern for this Nuggets team, their perimeter defense. See, for me, I think Aaron Gordon would do a – Aaron Gordon and uh, Jermichael Green would do a, a very good job of guarding a guy like Norman Powell. But, yeah, the the two main guards in McCollum and Lillard, it's going to be interesting to see who they stick on him. I mean, for the first game, it wouldn't shock me if they start Shaquille Harrison at the, at the two or if they bring in Monte Morris there because Monte Morris isn't a terrible defender, but he's not – he's below average. Yeah, he's it's just not a plus defender. You get a lot more offensively out of him than you do defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how they have their their lineup set up. Also, it's going to be for for Portland. What are they going to do if they go super big and bring out a, a lineup of say Will Barton once he comes back at the one, MPJ at the two, Aaron Gordon at the three, Bull Bull and Nikola Jokic. Portland does not have a lot of height. Yeah. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic is the tallest guy on that lineup, and I believe he's only 6'11". So if you have two seven-footers on the floor and two damn near seven-footers along with that, that's going to really cause some issues. Yeah, it could definitely cause some issues. Um, I do like a little bit more so the front court depth that the that the Portland Trailblazers have. I definitely like it more so than, than in recent years. I think, you know, talking about a combination of Yusuf Nurkic, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Ennis Kanner, Derek Jones Jr., Harry Giles III, Robert Covington, uh, and even Carmelo Anthony. I mean, they have all had – bright moments this year and even bright moments in this league. Now they haven't, like I said, the, the whole thing for me with this trailblazers team is I've seen so many great flashes from them this season from really up and down this entire roster. I've seen great flashes from every one of these players, but 
it's just been on a consistent basis and putting it all together at once. Now, over the, the last half of the season, to me, I really felt like I did see it more on a, um, a bigger scale, but it does kind of worry me, like it, how much it took for them to have to work at the end of the season to get where they were and all of that. We saw Damian Lillard start to play his best basketball. And really, to me, that, that's what it comes down to for me. This was a very tough series to peg. But Damian Lillard is just – I know what I get from him around this time of the year. You know, I cannot speak for the everything else, but when I know your best player is going to be there and basically be guaranteed to do whatever it takes and hit – and I can trust this guy to hit all the shots. And you can similarly trust Nikola Jokic, and he's coming off a an amazing year, an, an MVP year. To me, he is the MVP. But with all that said – I, I think I'm leaning Portland in this one. I, I really, really do. I just really like what they've all done. And I feel like, you know, if this isn't the team to get to make it out, especially with what, you know, Denver has working against it with that Jamal Murray injury, it's really good. That hurts them a lot. I didn't think it would hurt them as much, but like I kind of just talked myself into it with the amount of really good guards this Portland team has. I, I know height matters, but I just don't see how Denver can defend that. See, I'm I'm kind of on the opposite thing. I I think the the switching capability that Denver has is going to really play a, a huge factor in this series. Yes, it's not going to really wear down Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum. But also the way Denver plays offense, it's a lot of it's a lot of screens and off-ball action. Yeah. Usually it's Jokic or MPJ or Aaron Gordon really handling the ball. And it's a lot of off-ball movement from everyone else. So it's going to be very, very tiring on guys like Lillard and McCollum, who are your two main scorers, to have to constantly be moving around the court. Yeah. No, no. in a similar way, you know, as I made the argument, I don't know how Denver defends Portland you still have to consider that the, the opposite is true. Portland is going to be asked to defend Denver every single possession. And that is, that's where the toughness, that's where, that's where the tough part comes is right there. Can I trust Portland to do that over a seven game series? I really don't think so, but this is not a very confident pick for me. It's just, I don't know. I think that there's something different about this Portland trailblazers team. I, I've learned don't, not to count out Damian Lillard. They have their full core healthy and ready to go. And if the same were true for Denver, I would go them. I really would. But to me, without Jamal Murray, watching how much he meant to that offense last year and the run that they had last year, not having that is a, so much more pressure and weight on Jokic, MPJ, and Aaron Gordon's shoulders. MPJ and Aaron Gordon have no idea what the playoffs even look like. Like they, they don't now they're basketball players. It's basketball at the end of the day, but this is different basketball. Everyone who talks about playoff basketball talks about that aspect of it, how different it is. The regular season is a far cry from what playoff basketball really entails start to finish. And for that reason, I'm going with the trailblazers in seven. It's not a very confident pick, but it's it's just what I feel in my gut, and I can't go against my gut. I, I think I'm going to have to go with Denver in six here. 
I, I'm, I really trust Denver. Um, I'm, I've always been a big believer in Jokic since he really started to show what kind of a player he was once uh, Yusuf Nurkic was traded. And he really became like the focal point of the Nuggets franchise. And he's had an MVP caliber season for a reason. And I don't think this season's going to stop for him. I love it. I love it. I love it. We have to disagree at some point. And I think this is a great series to disagree on because I think, like I said, this one to me, it feels like the biggest coin flip out of any of them so far that we've touched on in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Moving now, on oh, to the I'll... final series here in the Western Conference. It's the other one that I said was right up there for the most exciting. It's the Clippers versus the Mavericks. Um, there's so much to be said about this, but in a similar way to the way we talked about star power, we have to do it in this one. Luka Doncic, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. These are two teams that really, over the better part of the last two years, have really frustrated a lot of people with their inconsistency and inability to really just figure it out. And for that reason, I think this is really a perfect storm right here for a four and five matchup. I think we're going to learn a whole lot about both of these teams, really. And now I'm kind of more, I have to say this, I love the Dallas Mavericks and I love Luka Doncic. If you've listened to the podcast before, I'm sure you know, I I could talk up Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, and, and a few other players all day long. And that's not what I intend to do. But I just do think you have to say that to me, I think this comes down to, first of all, I have a question for you, Jason. What's the best player in this series to you? That's a tough one. It's between Kawhi and Luka. Like, Paul George is definitely a very, very close third. Yeah. But I think I have to say Kawhi because Luka didn't really live up to the expectations everyone thought he was going to have this year. And Kawhi definitely played to what I think he played to what everyone thought he was going to. At least he played to my expectations. That's valid. That's valid. But it's even that question is so tough. And I think a lot of playoff matchups are so easy to boil down to best player v best player because you know at the end of every single game in the series if it's close when it's winning time you know it's going to come down to both of those players and to me I will say this as much as I love the Mavericks I don't love anything after Luka Doncic and Chris Dabbs Porzingis they have good pieces Jalen Brunson is a great guy uh Hardaway has been clutch for them all season long Maxi Kleber works really, really hard, is always in the right spot, hits the open threes, and plays tremendous defense. But top to bottom, I don't think they can compete with the Clippers. Now, if the Clippers have a monumental collapse, kind of like they did last year, that we could very easily be talking about the Mavericks in the second round, very, very easily. And if there's any player that it makes me really scared to bet against, it's Luka Doncic, because I know – to me, I would I would agree with you right now. I'd give the slight edge right now to Kawhi Leonard. Slight edge. Only because he gets it done on both ends of the court. And that is something that I can't really say, you know, on a game-to-game basis about Luka Doncic. But 
I do know one thing. If it comes down to final shots at the end, I have to go with the, I have to go with the Mavericks. I, I trust them in crunch time a lot more than the Clippers only because of Luka Doncic. I feel like in a similar vein to kind of the way I feel about Damian Lillard, there's no shot on a basketball court that I see leave Luka's hands and I think it's not going in. He's, I've seen crazier things from him, trust me. So if, with that being the case, this is a tough, tough series, but I'm going to contradict myself, Clippers in seven. I just think top to bottom, like I said, they're, they're too complete and there's too much riding on a rebound for them this season. Is in a similar way to the way I feel about the Grizzlies. I think the Mavericks are another, I don't want to say a year away because really I feel like they're a piece away. They need a better third star. And I think they need better complementary defensive pieces, but it just, yeah, top to bottom. It's the Clippers for me. I think they have too much in the form of momentum um, the chip on their shoulder, and they have a reason to get it done. This Mavericks team worked so hard to even get into the playoff picture and all the way up to the five seed where they're at now. I saw so much growth from Luka over the course of this season, but part of growth is learning, and I think this is going to be the first year where he learns that the playoffs are tough. You look at any great player, they did not get immediate playoff success. It took LeBron almost 10 years in a team change to get that playoff success the way he really wanted it. So I think this is going to be a tough lesson for Luka Doncic. I'm sorry, brother. I'm not rolling with you, but it is Clippers team top to bottom. It's just, it's too much. I like them better than I did last year. And last year I was the crazy guy who said they were my pick. So uh, give me the Clippers. I'm, I'm also going to roll with the Clippers here and I'm rolling with them in six. I don't trust the Mavericks defensively against this team. I mean, they're really – they're big two defenders, Dorian Finney-Smith and Josh Richardson. And Josh Richardson's definitely not been the player that they expected him to be when they traded Seth Curry for him. I mean, Richardson has been a fine player, but you trade away uh, technically the, the best – shooter in the NBA percentage wise. And then also you still have JJ Redick injured and not exactly sure when you're going to be getting him back. So you don't really have too much shooting outside of Luca and Tim Hardaway. Also you brought up Maxi Cleaver. He's dealing with an Achilles injury right now. I mean, he's still playing, but he's not really, able to move around on the floor as much as he has in the past. So it's, I, I really love Luca. I love Chris stops, but I just think the Clippers have a much more dynamic cast. I mean, you have Pat Bev, who's basically only going to go on anyone and try his absolute hardest to to lock up someone. I mean, I compare Mark Your Smart to Patrick Beverly a whole lot. That's that was my comparison when Smart came into the league. That defensive minded player that will play offense if he needs to. I really think the only thing the Mavericks really have over the Clippers is big men. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Zubaka or Abaka right now. It's not exactly the best center matchup if you have Kristaps at the five. 
But when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George matched up against Tim Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith, it's kind of hard to roll against the Clippers here unless they have a absolute collapse like they did last year. Yeah, yeah that that's really I mean we we, we agree on this one. Um, I it's weird. It almost feels dirty to me to pick against the Mavericks with how much like I said I like Luka Doncic, but like I I think I like I said I mean this is going to be one of those tough learning lessons. No star player ever really had it that easy to begin his career in the playoffs other than Tim Duncan. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. And even he David he, Robinson, the Admiral, also. and the Spurs. What was that? Yeah, David Robinson. That that kind of helped a little bit. Yeah. So for that reason, I mean, I'm looking around this team. I don't see a David Robinson on this team. Uh, I'm sorry, but like I said, Clippers in seven. I'm with you right there. Uh, you said six, right? I said six, yes. Yeah. Now for the East? Yeah, we've been, we've been talking a lot here, but – it's it's the playoffs. We we gotta we gotta go in deep into this. We got. I think the, the East is a little more cut and dry. A little um, more. It, yeah. Except for a, a few series, I think they will be kind of interesting. Starting off with the the one and eight seed. This is. I don't think this is super cut and dry. We got the 76ers going up against the Washington Wizards. I'm gonna now, let you take this one off the bat. I this is one that I throw in the cut and dry, uh, kind of easy to peg. I want to hear your argument first, though, because I'm going to give you the opportunity to sway me. Now I I can see why people think it's going to be cut and dry. I don't think it's going to be because of how the Wizards have been playing for the past month and a half. I mean, I think it was either the start of April or mid April. They had a 0.6 percent chance to make the playoffs, and they went on a huge run. So with how well they have been playing and the way Westbrook and Buell have been just becoming a dynamic duo over this past month, month and a half, I think it's really difficult for teams to stop them. I think the Sixers definitely could be that team. I I am going to pick the Sixers, but I don't think it's going to be as easy for Philly as a lot of people think it's going to be. I mean, with Philly – you already have one guy that can't shoot in Ben Simmons. I mean, yes, he's a, f- a phenomenal ball handler and is able to get to the rim at ease. Joel Embiid, not the best shooter. Uh, Danny Green has had his on and off times. Tobias Harris, kind of the same thing, but he's definitely had a bounce back year. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as a lot of people make it out to be. I can see that. I can see that. I, over the course of, uh, of your elaboration, I realized that more of why I think this is cut and dry has more to do with my belief in the 76ers. I know a lot of people, for a similar reason, kind of to the Clippers, why it might people might be kind of scared to pick a team because of failures in the past, maybe also kind of like the Bucs. Um, I'm throwing all that out the window. This is a new team. And for one, I have to talk about Doc Rivers. I think he, I said it in the beginning. I loved that fit as head coach in particular, and I still do really, really like that like that fit. I mean, he's a championship-winning head coach, and that there just aren't a lot of those around the league to begin with for the in the first place. With that being said, I loved all their additions in the offseason. I loved the way that they came in and slotted into this team. 
the additions of George Hill, Danny Green, Dwight Power, Dwight Howard paid huge dividends for them over the course of the season. I think it was a huge step up above the supporting cast that they had there last year. And, and the in-house improvements from guys like Shake Milton, I think while he, you know, didn't get all that much better, he played a lot better over the course of the season. Tobias Harris, I, I think he's a much more of a factor than I, I equated him as last season. And then even Matisse Thibel, I think this is the best perimeter defense team in the playoffs. And I think that that has something to be said for a team that is totally perimeter oriented, really. I, I talked about it earlier with the Wizards in the playoff game. They the, the one area of their team where they're just devoid of really any real talent other than Daniel Gafford, who's a fine young player with some good potential, is the front court. I mean, you and you're telling me like that's a nightmare matchup for a player like Embiid, a nightmare matchup. And, and I do like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook as much as anyone. I have more respect for Russell Westbrook than many people will. I mean, I, I rooted for that guy for almost his entire career with being an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. I, I know him like the back of my hand. I know him and Joel Embiid have a very big distaste for one another, and that's something that everybody should at least tune into a few games in this series for. I think this will be one of the, the chippiest and hardest played playoff series. I, I think that there's a lot of distaste between Westbrook and Embiid. And for that reason, I expect they should pop off at one another more than a couple of times in this playoff series. And like I said, it'll be hard nosed. I think this will be a really just hard fought kind of a series, but in the end, I think the talent level very easily favors the 76ers. And beyond that, I, I think even, the, the products on the court for both of these teams, it favors the 76ers. What the 76ers want to do is in, is in direct violation of what the, the Wizards hope nobody tries to do. And that's just bully and beat them down low because they really are at your will in that, in that area of the court. They just have such few guys they can count on down there. And for that reason, I think this – is the one five-game series, I, I could even maybe see a sweep. I, I think it'll be tough. Um, the Wizards, I, I predict they will win a game. Like I said, I have it in five. But I just think it's kind of a perfect storm for the 76ers, and I think they got what they wanted when the Wizards made it out of the playing games. I'm, I'm going with the 76ers in six here. I think just the, the duo of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook will be able to get them at least two games. I don't see it going seven unless an injury happens to either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. That's the only way I could see it going seven and the Wizards possibly winning. But, yeah, like the dominance that Embiid is going to enforce upon the the Washington front court, that is kind of scary. But on the other hand, you're going to have either West, Russell Westbrook or Bradley Beal scoring basically every shot they take on the other court on the other side of the court because I mean I don't think Tobias Harris is a that great of a defender Danny Green is definitely not what he used to be in San Antonio and Ben Simmons can only guard one guy at a time so it's like you gotta you gotta pick your poison there that is valid that is valid but we're both rocking with the 76 that one uh, I think we both expect the, the outcome of that series moving on you want to i'll let you take this next series if you want to move to the next topics 
Uh, yes. We have the two seed Brooklyn Nets facing off against the seven seed Boston Celtics. I'm going to straight up and say it. I see this game going six in the Nets' favor. Unless Harden's hamstring injuries really start to bite him, it's it's going to be difficult for Boston to be able to beat this triple-headed head, triple headed monster right here. I mean, you have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, three of the most prolific scorers in the NBA right now, and Kevin Durant is arguably one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. I mean, stats back it up. I mean, and then you have two of the the greatest ball handlers in in NBA history, arguably the greatest in Kyrie Irving. So it's like, it's, and then Boston, you have Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Mark Smart. That's that's about it. I hate to say it, but that that, that really is about it. Yeah, no, I am with you. I'm in total agreement. I think it'll be a six-game series um, for a couple of reasons, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I give the Celtics no chance because I definitely do, because I think that there's we're so quick to instantly say like yes, the Brooklyn Nets are this and that, but to be to be 100% real, I mean, we really haven't seen it, you know? I mean, from talking about their three best players on the court at the same time, we haven't seen it together. And I think there will be some feeling out period, and I do expect that the Nets will drop <clears throat> at least a game or two, I, I predict two, because, like I said, of that feeling out process. And, and it will leave the door cracked for the Celtics, and I would not be surprised knowing – how hard a lot of those players on their team play and just that style that they play. Uh, I would not be surprised if they make this a, a seven game series, but with Jalen Brown being out, it, it just, it has a huge impact on the outcome of this, of this series, in my opinion. Um, without him, the Celtics still pose a threat to one of the, the, you know, huge title favorites this season, but overall uh, seven game series, I can't, similarly with you, I can't bet against Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden over the course of seven games. Now, I know each one of them individually has had their own troubles about getting over those humps. But together, I I don't know, man. I just think that, you know, you almost just have to slot them into the next round because of uh, name value alone almost. It's it's scary, really. Yeah, yeah. It's just once Jalen Brown did go down, that's when basically all my hope went away. And then not getting Boston not getting the six seed really just made it even worse because I knew they were either going to have to face Philly or Brooklyn without their second best player. So that kind of just ruined the season. So unless they aren't able to, unless Brooklyn isn't able to mesh well in the playoffs, kind of like that that failed super team in OKC with Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony. But I don't really see that happening in this. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, that Even that failed team, you know, 
it didn't boast the same amount of star power. We had a prime Russell Westbrook, a prime Paul George, and a not so prime Carmelo Anthony. I don't think that there is any doubt that each one of these three players are offensive juggernauts of this league and that they are all individually in their own primes. Uh, I mean, that's something that I really can't, I really don't think this game has ever truly seen before. Not, I, I definitely haven't with my own eyes. It feels like every big three that we used to have, it, it was a big three in name value, but that's about where it would usually end. One of the guys always would fail to kind of live up to their expectations. And when it comes to these three guys, I don't know which one you peg. You could peg each one of them for different reasons. I mean, James Harden has not been a, a great playoff performer over the course of his career. Kyrie Irving was long the guy that I thought was the wild card about whether this experiment would be able to work, just given his personality. Kevin Durant, he was the one guy that I had no questions about, obviously. But for that reason, there is a little bit of room for potential problems. But a seven-game series with those guys, I, it's too much It's too much star power. The Nets in six, we both agree. Yeah, I, I hope and pray to God that Boston can somehow walk away from this. But it, it's very unlikely. Moving on to the next series in the East, the only series thus far that has a single game decided. And me and Jason, we talked about the morals behind it at the beginning. We decided that we weren't going to let the decision of the first game influence our choices. So the same thing I had written on my document is the same thing I'll be reading from now. But uh, the Bucks in the heat. I mean, this series, like I said, first game just finished up, finished up in wild fashion. Spoiler alert, if you guys haven't gotten to go check the game highlights or you didn't get to watch it yet, maybe go watch that because I'm about to spoil it for you. Chris Middleton just hit a game winner in the first game. I mean, Jimmy Butler hit a huge layup to send it to overtime. And in overtime, Chris Middleton hits the game winner. Huge, huge first win, 109 to 107 for the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's just got to feel good for them. For They're another team that I throw in with the Celtics, just a frustrating team over these last few years. And even the trailblazers frustrating regular season teams that have really failed to get over the hump. And, and for, it sounds like, you know, I'm just going to be a broken record today, but I, I think this is where it changes for them. Um, uh, it has for similar reasons that I talked about with the 76ers. I think they did a lot in the off season that I really, really liked. Uh, I was on the record for saying, I love the drew holiday move. Um, Bobby Portis has been fantastic for them over the course of the season. DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo continues to step up and play huge basketball for them as well. And we always seem to forget about Chris Middleton. I, I know you don't, Jason, you are the one guy I have to give you credit. You always remember to remind me about Chris Middleton because I always decide to forget about him. And I should probably stop doing that because that guy's a great player. I mean, as far as the Bucks go in the Eastern Conference, they have a lot of star power to boot as well. It's almost weird at this point. They were the team that nobody could stop talking about in the East for the last few years. And now it feels like this year they kind of slide in as the team that no one is talking about. It's really, really weird to me. Um, why do you think that is, Jason? I really think it's just fatigue. I mean, they've been the best regular season team in the East for the past uh, three years. And it's just like 
people are really starting to think like, oh yeah, Giannis is just a, a regular season player. He's not able to come up in clutch time. I yeah. mean, it's that's really what it's starting to that's what it really started to look like. I mean, back to back MVP seasons and then a, a Western Conference run or Eastern Conference Finals run that you played against a Boston team led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown without Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. And then eliminated by the Heat in five last year. So I see where a lot of people are coming from, kind of ruling out the Bucks already because of what has happened in the past. But that was also with Eric Bledsoe and Drew Holiday has really fit into this team a lot better than Eric Bledsoe ever did because more of a, a defensive-minded guy and also bigger than Eric Bledsoe. So that, that definitely helps. Absolutely, absolutely. I think for me personally, uh, I do believe in this Bucks team a, a good amount more, like I said. Like, I, I, I was in love with all the moves that they made in the offseason, and I do think they got better. And, and with that being said, I think the product on the court showed that they were better. And when it comes to this matchup in particular versus the Miami Heat, I, I think another thing for me is that I'm just not – sold on this idea that I, I've heard a couple of people saying it. This is, I could very easily bite my tongue right now and not look like an idiot in the future, but I'm just going to say, I don't think this is the same heat team as last year. And they, it's in large part, a lot of the same players. They've even added some players that I think could help them uh, reach a higher potential ceiling, but I'm just not sold on the idea that they can turn it around in the postseason Like they did a year ago. It, it just doesn't seem and it very much so came out of left field when it happened last year. I mean, there was the long layoff with COVID and all that. We had very little access to see any of these players, any of these teams do anything really. And then boom, bang, here we are in the bubble playing games again. And the Heat happened to be the hot, one of the hottest team out of any of those teams other than the Lakers. And I just don't think that can happen again this year. I, I love Bam Adebayo. You know what you're going to get night in and night out from Jimmy Butler, but this Bucks team, it finally feels like the first year where everything is really clicking going into the postseason. Like everything was clicking before, but this year it just feels like different. It even feels like this is almost more so a playoff team this year than a regular scene, regular season team. Yeah. Um, this heat team is definitely not what they were last season. Not at all. Um, they were just on a, a magical run that no one could stop them. And now they're, they're finally, it seems like they're meeting their match. I mean, they were off to a terrible start in the, the regular season. They picked it back up, but I mean, how it's looking with this game one. I mean, I, I had, I have the bucks winning in six, even before this game one. But now it's like it could go. It could go as less as five. Yeah, I, I know, just I, don't see the the heat coming out on top this year. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I have Bucks and six as well. I swear you must be cheating, looking at my notes or something. Huh? <laughs> We've been uh, in agreement on 
a good amount of these series. But um, no, I do think it's pretty clear cut. Bucks and six. What can you say? What can we say? Great minds think alike. Absolutely, baby. Hot takes from the Berg. Now onto the final series. Two teams that came out of nowhere this season. We have yeah. the New York Knicks going against the Atlanta Hawks. Wow. I love just, it. Just wow. I, I thought the Hawks were going to be a playoff team this year, but I was thinking like seven, eight seed right around there. Not the five seed with what? 40, 44 wins, something like that. Insane. Yeah. Well, and I'd even say through a good part of the season, I didn't think this was going to be possible for the Hawks. It felt like for a great long while during the season, all the talk, at least between me and you, was when is this team going to figure it out? Because we both believed in this team from from the get-go. I remember this was one of the teams I was really high on. I really liked the jump that they had made. I liked all the moves that they had made, and I felt like they was clear-cut, easy to say they had gotten better. It was hard to really, for me, peg where they would end up in the playoffs. Um, I had them lower. To see them at five here is incredible, really, and especially, like I said, after the beginning to their season that they had. And if there's anything else, neither one of us called the Knicks being here. Um, And we have to give them a mountain of credit. I mean, Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau alone, deserve a mountain of credit. There's no chance this Knicks team is in this position without either one of them. The defense that Thibodeau instilled is, is here to stay. And But I think to win this series, I still think that Randall needs to be the best player in this series. Beyond that, we're going to need to see R.J. Barrett and, and Derrick Rose really be the, the, the true second fiddles, uh, I'll say, and the complimentary production is going to be more necessary than ever. But in my mind, the more talented team overall is Atlanta. But that doesn't mean anything facing off against a team with the Knicks' defensive philosophy. I, I think, you know, we're going to have to learn a lot about Trey Young and see if he's able to turn his game up and, and really figure out how he handles the bright lights of the postseason. I, I think this could be one of the toughest series to peg. Uh, but the Knicks have been fantastic all season long, and the only known commodity coming into this series to me is the Knicks defense and how hard they work on that side of the court during this time of the year that aspect of basketball is rewarded more than any my prediction Knicks and six yeah I don't care who you are if you said the Knicks were going to be a playoff team much less a four seed in this eastern conference at the beginning of the year with how much star power was in is in the east now Everyone would have thought you were crazy. I would have I, laughed in your face. I genuinely thought this team was going to be a, a very early lottery team. At most, maybe a 10 seed. Maybe. Yeah. And then Julius Randle comes out and has the best year of his career. RJ Barrett really steps up his game after having a very – a lackluster rookie season for being the second overall pick. No, third overall pick. 
also bringing in Derrick Rose, uh, getting Obi Toppin this this draft. Emmanuel quickly has come in and played well. Alfred Payton hasn't been terrible, which is weird to say. <laughs> like the Knicks have been the perfect image of success after that is this is the definition of worst to first granted they're not in first but like that kind of mindset yeah no 100% like you said it wasn't worst per se from like dead last but I mean you just talk about where they were at as a franchise it feels like like for as long as I've really been in tune with basketball the Knicks have really been a, a laughing stock of the league, which is weird because I know a lot of people outside of my generation look at it in a completely different light. They look at the New York Knicks and they think one of the pillars of basketball as a whole, like one of the meccas of basketball. And, and I just had never seen that really in my life. I remember great teams from them, like the Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith teams. Those were very, very exciting teams to watch. Even when you could throw in a, a healthy Amari Stoudemire, he was a shell of himself. But, man, it was still so fun to watch. And just to see what in one season Tom Thibodeau was able to do. Now, I I agree. Julius Randle needs a lot of credit. But I've been preaching this one all year, and I'm going to keep preaching it because Tom Thibodeau, to me, is the heart and soul of this change. They wouldn't be in this position without the defense that they have put on the court this entire season. And that, to me, is no question thanks to Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I, Tom, like, his his time in, in Minnesota kind of ruined his reputation a little bit. Completely and, agree. And people forgot what kind of coach he was in Chicago. And then he comes to New York and install, instills what he did in Chicago. And it, it it's it's that star player kind of aspect. I don't. I don't know if I can truly consider a, a Julius Randle a a star, but it's kind of that same thing with how it was around Derrick Rose. It was kind of a a one man show with a very very good supporting cast around him. Yeah, well, and even before Derrick Rose, really, it, it was the Luol Dang, and he was that player that was almost like a Julius Randle, like you had trouble really pegging him. Like he's a great player. He's not all that flashy. He, he just is kind of does all the right things, but he's the best player on, at least before really, I I saw Derek Rose really take that, you know, MVP level jump. It was that year of Luol Dang and, and Luol Dang was, it was so weird because they were so such a good team overall defensively, all of this and that. And then it was like, but how good is their best player? And this, I do think Julius Randle in this situation is a better individual player than Luol Dang, but it is just crazy, like to say that with just Thibodeau's defensive philosophy and a little bit better play from the offensive players on this team, and in one year you go from no hope really for even being able to compete for anything meaningful to the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. It is outstanding. For that reason alone, I have the Knicks in six. One thing that, like I said earlier, 
that doesn't go away in the playoffs is defense. And if there's one thing that we'll, I could envision very easily giving this young Atlanta Hawks team a lot of fits, it would be a, facing a team with the defensive prowess of the New York Knicks. Whoever thought we would be saying that at this point in the season over the course of a seven-game series? I'm, I'm going to go with the Knicks in seven here. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Thibodeau game plans around a guy like Trey Young and just the offense capability the Atlanta Hawks have in general. I mean – Really, the only guy on that roster that can't shoot is Clint Capella. So it's going to be interesting how Tom deals with that. But, I mean, he's had to deal with the Miami Big Three and almost beat that team. And I think would have in in D. Rose's MVP year if he didn't get injured. But, yeah, I, I got to go with the Knicks in seven. I love the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young has done a fantastic job this year. Uh, John Collins. all um, Also, Cam Reddish is most likely going to be out for the rest of the year. Is that While Reddish hasn't really had too big of a, a role with Atlanta, that's a, another depth guy gone. So that does kind of hurt them. Absolutely. You don't want to ever lose anything. I mean, they've been without Reddish for a good while now with the, the Achilles bothering him. They, they, I've heard rumors there's a chance he might come back for the playoffs. I'm not sure how much to put into that, and I'm not even sure what his role would look like. I mean, Bogdanovich has really basically usurped that and played that role the way that I'm sure the Atlanta Hawks figured that they would be able to eventually slot Cam Reddish into. But right now, I mean, that role is better occupied by Bogdanovich. And I do think that this pre- presents a scary matchup for the Knicks. I, I do ultimately think that they will pull through. And it's more so also just a want thing. Like, I, I am very, very intrigued with this young and fun-to-watch Atlanta team. And I would be intrigued to see what maybe they could do in the second round of the playoffs. But like I said, there's one thing that uh, does not go away in the playoffs, and that's defense. And with this team being so young – it could get scary. I mean, granted, if Trey Young turns his game up and is built for these bright lights of the playoffs, the Knicks could be gone in as early as five. Uh, I really do think so. Uh, it, it could get that scary that fast because the one thing that defense can account for is better offense. And Trey Young it does strike me as one of those players that uh, hand in his face when he's hot, it does not matter. And so that could that could potentially get scary, but – if he stumbles or even so much as, you know, barely trips coming out of the gates, it will be hard to be able to ramp things up against this tough defense that the New York Knicks have. Yeah, that that's why I got to go with the Knicks here. But like you said, if, if Trey, if this starting lineup can get off to a hot start in, in two to three games, especially with New York having home court advantage, if they can take – one game from New York and home court. That's huge. Especially with fans being let back in arenas now. Yeah. If you can get, if you can steal or win or two in Madison square garden, that's really going to rattle New York and coming back to Atlanta. It's, it's looking good for the Hawks. If they can come back either a series tied or being up to a. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with that being said, I think that's a wrap for our postseason, our, our 
postseason predictions. But the one thing that I know that we are so adamant about is just making sure that you guys catch the playoffs. Like, I know we probably don't have to tell you guys this, but at this point of the season, every game was for this moment. We're on the track to figuring out who the 2021 NBA champion is. And it is going to be a fun road. We touched, we talked about it earlier, Jason. And I'm not just saying this because it's the first, you know, well, crazy thought here. Second year covering postseason basketball on the podcast. But I just do think that this is the most exciting first round matchup, probably top to bottom, West and East included. I think there is so many fun series to watch. The, the first round to me is usually the most fun. Obviously, you have the most teams, the most storylines going on. It's hard to catch all those games. There's so much going on. But just try and catch as much as you can because, man, like I said, there's going to be fun ones start to finish in this one. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think how many high-powered teams are going against each other in this first round. Like I said, when we started actually going into the, the playoff series – this is the most exciting playoff first round playoff series I have seen in my lifetime. Yeah, it, he's not lying, folks. It, it is true. I, I second that. This one has me giddy. I almost feel like a little kid again. Like, I am so excited for these games to come on. I just cannot wait to see the games best represented on all teams. Like, there's so many great players in these playoffs right here. Like, I just remember in years past, it always felt like we, we throw the term regular season team. To me, that's just a term that's used to describe teams that kind of lack overall star power, really. And this year, there is very few <coughs> regular season teams in my mind. I think that all of these teams are very, very talented. They have the star power to boot. And I just cannot wait to see it, see it square off against one another. Yes, it is going to be such a fun time we have what a month a little over a month left of basketball so just soak up as much as you can you still have two games that you can catch tonight you have the boston celtics against the brooklyn nets and then the portland trailblazers against the denver nuggets two very very fun series just to watch i mean the boston versus brooklyn is nowhere near as fun as portland versus denver but Still, to see the the young guy, Jason Tatum, see if he can prove that he is a true superstar against a, a triple-headed monster of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Yeah. Stars, top to bottom. Exciting games, no doubt, in front of us. If the first game is any indication, a game-winning shot at the buzzer in overtime and a for the other team, uh, a layup to send it to overtime. I mean, that game, I, I was peeking over. It was hard for me to even really stay in tune with the podcast, as crazy as that may sound, with this insane game going on right to my left. But I am ready to go and spend the entire rest of my life, apparently, watching NBA basketball because I, I could very easily do that. I'm content. <laughs> but with that, I hope you all enjoyed sitting here with us for – what seems like just forever for us talking about basketball and the playing tournament and the hall of fame inductees and just really diving into these playoff series. Cause you, you don't get 
too many first round series like this. I mean, you might get one or two a, a year, but all eight this year are must watch basketball. Yeah, a hundred percent. Every single one of them are going to be exciting. And if you're as excited for basketball as we are, you have no worries. We'll be back with our second round predictions. We'll wrap up and see how we did from the first round. Talk about what the first, how the first round series went down and obviously break down the second round series and see one step closer to the NBA champion. And with that, I think that is going to wrap us up for today. I have, of course, been your host, Jason Michener, joining alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time.